You're listening to the City Light Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. Is I want everybody to say abiding. Abiding. Abiding is um, a, a word that we find in John 15 that talks about the relationship of a branch into a vine. And uh, insofar as we're abided in Jesus as the vine, um, we, we abound in great fruit. So I want everybody to say abounding. Abounding means a sense of spiritual fruit, a fruit that remains. Uh, the, the, the scriptures talk about every disciple should have not only fruit, um, we start our lives without Jesus and without fruit, but in connected to the vine, we begin to have fruit, not only some fruit, but much fruit and fruit that remains, fruit that goes on beyond our death. Our influence spiritually goes uh, beyond our death. And um, so I want to invite you guys to open up to John chapter 15, and let me just open just a quick word of prayer before we get into some study, because I want to show you some verses. So Father, once again, we come to you as the gardener. We thank you for your... Um, caretaking over our life, for your, for your pruning, for your washing, for your admonishing, for your rebuking, for your growing. It's all for our good. God, we just surrender to your vine that we might bear fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains um, in your love. You're worth it, and um, we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I want to get into the message in just a bit, but I want to set us up first with a little bit of a framework um, because uh, Jesus, and actually in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible is always talking about um, fruit. It's always talking about fields. It's always talking about seeds and, 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 and seasons. It's, in the Old Testament, it would talk about, you know, like every seventh year, you're supposed to let the land rest, which agriculturally is a wise thing to do, but also theologically speaks of the, um, the sustenance of God, that he gives more than enough. And so in six years, he could give you enough for seven. He doesn't just give you enough, he gives you more than enough. So he teaches the principle of, of, of more than enough through fruit, through, through abiding in an agricultural culture. That was a prevalent metaphor that was used. And uh, I want to focus on today on, on the abiding side, but particularly on fruit, on spiritual fruit, just a couple of passages that can give us a little vision on what fruit actually means. Fruit doesn't necessarily mean rich and get the spouse you want or get the thing that you need or the promotion. Fruit is something a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more lofty than that, I guess, a little bit more eternal, a little more spiritual than that. So a couple of verses to look at. John 4, verses 35 through uh, 38 says this. Jesus says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. So Jesus, in speaking in John 4, is saying that fruit is, is actually people and people that learn how to trust Jesus because of your life. So, so when, when, when it all goes back in the box and we read out our obituaries and we're done here and we you know, move on to, to greener pastures, what counts most is how much because of your life did people trust Jesus. That's what matters most. That's, that's what he would call fruit. That's what he call profit. Romans 6.22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and results in eternal life. Fruit in Romans 6 uh, is just talking about in your personal life, the, the fruit of being next to Jesus is that you're free of, of, your, of yourself in a spiritual way. It means that you're not you're not a slave to the person next to you, to the opinion of man, to the, to the emotions of your flesh. You're not, you're not just kind of blown away by the winds of the day and the doctrine that you're actually free 
to, to be who you're created to be. And so fruit looks like freedom. Romans 15, 28 uh, talks about an incident between Jews and new believers that were coming, Gentiles that were becoming believers um, in Macedonia. It says, for Macedonia and Achaia were uh, pleased to make contribution. This is Paul speaking about these two different churches. For the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them material blessings. So Paul is talking that um, spiritual fruit isn't always kumbaya and good feelings and rainbows and, and hugs and love and greet each other with a kiss, that there's money involved in this thing. Like there's ways to have more than enough materially and put in the abiding place, our money can actually bear fruit that lasts longer than its expenditures. Like if I can get my money to a place that's invested into something eternal, it can actually bear fruit beyond what I would buy a cheeseburger for. The dollar would go further. It would go on to eternities. He's saying so that, so that there's spiritual blessings, but there's also financial blessings that we can turn in and invest into spiritual ones. Galatians 5, of course, this is a hallmark verse about what we mean by fruit. Things like love, things of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, fruit means that things in my life that others can observe that remind people of Jesus. Lastly, Colossians 1.10, so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit. I like this. This is really interesting. Listen to this. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. That, that division in the sentence, the two different phrases in the sentence, bearing fruit in every good work, suggests that there's actually good works that don't have fruit in them. The Bible would talk about two different types of work that we would wake up on Monday morning to do, one of them being the one hopefully we're shooting for in Galatians is the fruits of the Spirit, work that's done alongside with God, not just for God, bears a fruit that matters, that lasts, that's much fruit. There's ways to do things without God, and although it seems like it's good, it actually yields no fruit. So in short, what we're saying is that you can have, my friend Mike Breen says there's five different types of capital. You've got money, that's financial capital. You've got intellectual capital. You go to school, you know certain things. Maybe you're a book smart, maybe you're street smart. You have intellectual abilities to, to understand things. There's, there's physical capital, which is your looks, the way that you hold yourself, but also your energy. And when you don't have health, you lack in that department. All these things matter to God, and he preaches on every single one of them. Relational capital is higher than all of those because who you're with, the relationships that you build are the things that last the longest into the future. They forge history. They, they, relationships come before money. They actually Relationships in business actually show and tell money where to go. So relationships matter more than money, but ahead of all of those things, he would say, and I see the scripture saying this morning, is that there's invisible spiritual capital that, is, that matters more than any of those things. And if we don't know what that spiritual capital is, if we don't know how to define it, we don't know where it is in our hand, we, we, we can change the finite for the infinite, we, we can hand away the things that matter and last that are eternal for short-term capital and, and therefore steward unwise investments. But the goal here in spiritual fruit, the way that Jesus says, is that if we were to abide in Jesus, is that the person that abides in Jesus, you could be a millionaire with, with a yacht and tons of money and have no spiritual fruit. None. You have no idea what's, what the money is worth in your hand. You have no idea what the worth of a person is. You don't know that Jesus died for the person that works in your factory line, and so you don't operate the right way, so you change in all these eternal things for, fi for finite things you don't realize until you're dead that you were rich in money, you were poor in spirit. But the wise man, the one that Jesus is talking about, the one that abides could be a widow with two mites, and she invests all of her physical things as though it doesn't matter and actually reaps a bountiful spiritual blessing. Jesus would call her richer than the rich man. That's the nature of abounding fruit. 
And so I want to, I just want to just put this up here to kind of um, summarize our, our thinking here, and then I want to get into the passage this morning. The fruit of the vine is as follows. Think about some of these concepts with me. Fruit is not just for us, if you read some of these passages above, but they're for others to taste. So when we think about the fruit of our life, the profit of our life, did we invest and get returns? Let's put it in a financial way instead of agricultural. Did the returns uh, justify the means? The answer is, did it affect other people well? Did it bless other people as a question of fruit? Fruit is not an end to itself, but fruit carries seeds and cultivates fruit in others, as the harvest talks about, that my fruit should actually multiply itself in others. People should not only see me and say, wow, what a generous person or a kind person or an affable, friendly person. They should say, wow, look how great Jesus is, and I want to get to know Jesus, not just Oliver. So that's the fruit that we're talking about. We're not just talking about getting people to like us, winning influence. Fruit that remains is produced by works of the Spirit and not fruits of the, of the flesh. In other words... Um, the iPhone 7 that came out, or iPhone 1 that came out in 2007 is in a museum. And the greatest epitome of what man tries to do without Jesus is going to end up in a museum. But what matters is lives, what matters is souls, what matters is fruit, what matters is what did I do with Jesus? What did I do for Jesus? What did I do trusting Jesus? So John 15 says this. He probably would have been referring to a vine that was uh, carved out of the temple door. They were on their way from the upper room the last word in John 14 says, arise, let's go hence. So they move to the Garden of Gethsemane, and in the middle of the garden, or the, rather the upper room in the garden, there's a discourse with, with Jesus and disciples. He may have passed in the moonlight on that evening to look at that temple door and look at that vine and preach off of that vine there. He said this. He says, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. The, the, the teaching before in places like Ezekiel and Jeremiah would have said that the vine was Israel. Israel was endowed with many riches and many... Um, uh, abilities through the generations to cre create fruit, fruit like justice and fruit like joy and fruit like blessing. And they should have been a bless blessed nation to be a blessing. But the scriptures say in Jeremiah and other places that they bore wild fruit, thistles, thorns, things that weren't of Jesus. And so the new covenant preachers and Jesus is trying to let them know is that there's a mediator here. You're not the vine anymore. I am. I produce the life. I produce the energy. I produce the dreams. I produce the creativity. Your job is to abide in me. So the shift here, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So some encouraging words here from Jesus is that Jesus was without sin and Jesus was pruned. So pruning doesn't necessarily mean correction. It does, but it could also mean uh, empowerment. It could mean sharpening. It could mean Luke 2.52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with God and man, that God was doing something in his life from age 1 to 30, that he wasn't just letting him sit there, and there's a development process that we go through. And then he says, he prunes us for a purpose, not for our pain, not to prove something, but to, to, to be a means to an end that we'd be fruitful. And I'm just going to run through the summary here. But if you read through this passage, the disciples, he, he, he defines really through by way of fruitfulness what a disciple is. A couple of things you might think of when you think of what is a disciple. We've talked about it. Disciples bear fruit. Disciples are pruned. Disciples, um, they don't look the same from 2018 to 2017. They look different. They're in a process, a Luke 2.52 process maybe. Disciples, here's the next one that you're going to see later on in the passage, is that disciples, it says, have prayers answered. Anything that you ask of me, I'll give it to you. So that means not only are disciples praying, they're praying specifically, and they're praying for things that they find answered by God. So a disciple is not a disciple unless there's prayer. There has to be prayer. There's a deep love for Jesus. 
They weep and they laugh and they have joy over the name of Jesus. There's just a deep abided love. And the last one is it's required that there's joy in a disciple. The disciples have joy. So verse three, it says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also am in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It remains in the vine and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So as I said before, you can feel the back-to-school atmosphere in the, in the room and, and in, the, in the community. If you have kids or if you know kids or if you know an educator, this is like the calm before the storm. There's like a calendar somewhere on your iCal and the 19th is circled, and you know that there's uh, before school and there's after school. And after school gets started, everything's changed, for good or for, or for worse. And your schedule is going to be consistent, and your shows come back on TV, and your sports get going, and your commitment levels increase. And, you, and, it, and, and, and some people would even say that the, the back-to-school year is almost like a new new year for people. Like my kids all have new shoes that they got over at um, DSW, and they're like wearing them through their house, and they're actually excited about going to school. They're like stirred up. They're, like Leo's like, I can't wait to go to school. And, uh, and we were like, why? And he's like, because when you go to school, you get to wear your new kicks, and you get to like make new friends, and you get to play all these games and play get to know you. And I'm like, well, what happens on day three? And then he's like, well, that's when school is not as cool. That's like, that's like the 21st rather than the 19th. Alex excited about going to school. Everybody gets to graduate. You get your new clothes. You remember the night before you like couldn't even sleep? Like some of us in the 90s, I had my little like, Tommy Hilfiger shirt over in the corner, and I just like, I can't even sleep. It's just three in the morning. I'm just so excited to put on my Timberland boots like Billy Madison, go back to school. And I'm just like, I'm like, this is my year. Like, this is my year. I got my binder. I mean, what? Like, like, like in the way of just of fruitfulness and success, is there anything that is more empowering to a kid and saying, look at this binder. It's got dividers in it. I believe in you. Like, the binder is going to help me get organized. This is going to be the year that I actually stay focused. This is my year. I'm leaving sophomore year behind. I'm not going to get ISS again for having my ID. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to prove to my dad that I'm not a fool. And, and, and we, go to, we go to school with, with this attitude. And then day two hits, right? And it's, it's you didn't get any sleep the night before, and you're in Spanish class, and that lady is just wop, 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 wop. And it doesn't matter how cool your index cards are, what color they are, like conjugating Spanish verbs, I'm sorry, is just not fun. It's just not fun. And, and the teachers in the room, y'all know, y'all have, it's like, you're the same way, I'm going to get my classroom in shape. This is going to be my year this year. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to stand my ground. I'm not messing around with these kids no more. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a grown man, and this is in my kingdom, and I'm not going to be pushed around by these little kids, I'm gonna tell them. And you, I'm gonna dress well this year. I'm gonna dress to impress this year. I'm gonna have my stuff pressed. I'm not gonna be late for class again. I'm not gonna get dragged down. And it takes one day, and you go through, and it's that one kid, and you already know who that kid is, and they eye you up. Like Batman has Joker, and you got that kid, and he exists to help you get better. Like Jesus put him in your life. And you know who he is because he looks at you in that crazy way. Like, there's this craziness back there. And you go around, and you're doing the name game, and, like, normal kids, like, good moms, they probably send them to school, teach them the right way, that kind of thing. And I'm Georgie, and I'm so nice to meet you, Mr. Wong, and this kind of thing. And then you get down to Michael. And, and you get down to Michael, and you already know when it comes out of his mouth, because he'll say, hey, my name's Michael. And then he'll have a pause, and then he'll say something like this, but you can call me Swag Daddy. 
And you're like, no! And the whole plan goes out the window. The whole plan goes out the window. New Year's resolutions and new school resolutions are similar in the sense that they have, they reflect all the ambition that we would have for a new phase, a new you, a new season. And you, you dress a new way and you get new shoes and you get a new binder and you hope that all the new stuff on the surface will create newness in its, in its effects. And, and then you come to school or you go to work or you go back home and you come into a new season you realize a lot of the same problems, limitations, and short, shortages that you had in, in the last year followed you into this year. And you're facing the same struggles and the same obstacles and the same issues. Deep down in our heart, like at home and at work, we long for a rhythm of fruitfulness in our life. And we, we act like we don't care. We get apathetic and sarcastic and make fun of the kids or we make fun of the teacher. But deep down in our heart, we're so broken at the fact that it feels like there should be something more to life than sort of just playing catch up all the time. Just like doing work and watching it get undone right in front of you. My, my wife and I, Kyra talks about it all the time. It's like, I feel like when I clean up that mess, there's a spiritual invitation that goes around that Mark Batterson circle that tells the kids to make that mess again. Like it just feels like the very thing that I'm trying to be fruitful in and faithful in, as soon as I'm fruitful in it, I go away and the fruit just gets eaten up somewhere. And instead of leading life, life begins to lead me. I'm always robbing Peter to pay Paul. I'm always a dollar late and a day short. I never seem to catch up and I'm always feeling faithful but never really seeing the fruit of it. And Jesus speaks to us in stuff like this. Because, because in every metaphor, when he talks about trees, although the one we write about is a vine, we're the tree, and he commands trees to be fruitful. There's actually an incident in which Jesus comes up to a, to a fig tree in one of the Gospels, and, and because it's not producing fruit, even though it's out of season, because this thing isn't producing fruit, one of the occasions he gives it two days to, to get its act together, the other one he just curses it right then and there. He's speaking of Jerusalem, of course, but I think he speaks to us as well that we're not created just to be faithful and not fruitful. We're meant to have fruit. We're meant to have spiritual fruit that matters, much fruit and fruit that remains. That's the, that's the mandate of our life. It's what we were created for. We're not created just to do something and have it be undone. We're not just to you know, vainly cast out dreams and get plans and ideas and put it on the whiteboard and then as soon as we get there, realize that it just hits a stall, hits a dead end. We're not meant to live in this place of, of, of faithful without fruitful. A tree that's abided in Jesus that digs its roots deeply down into the soil of his grace is designed to imminently create fruit everywhere that it goes, provided that we count fruit the right way. So the good news is that the father is a gardener. And this is what it says in John 15. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. And I love insights like this. I, we taught a class, me and Chris, one time for equipping environment about there's differences in the Trinity and every part plays its own role. And it's interesting whenever you see that the Father does something different than the Son. In this case, the Son is the, the, the vine, but you know that when God, when God is pruning you, that's the Father doing it. The Father comes along in care and in love and he cuts off the branches that bear no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, on the screen, you're going to see a Greek word that represents what pruning means, and that word is pronounced kathairo. And kathairo is a Greek word that is the synonym to our language, the word, um, the word um, catharsis. Catharsis meaning a feeling or emotion that feels like a light-bearing, um, almost an internal renaissance or a change, a refreshing, 
Um, the definition is on the screen, and I'll read it directly out of Webster. It says, is the purification, uh, excuse me, kathiris, which is the Greek word meaning purification or cleansing, is the purification and per, uh, the purging of emotions, particularly pity and fear, through art or an extreme change in emotion that results in the renewal and restoration of that thing. So, so I want you to go with me. There's a day on your vacation and it's day two, and you got all the kids, and you put them in the minivan, and, blah, 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 and you call all the work, and you went down, and it's hot, and all that stuff. But day two, you get there, and you remember why you pushed yourself to go there. Because it's, it's like 10 in the morning, and the tide's coming in and out, and there's no cloud in the sky, and, and there's, there's a seagull off somewhere in the distance, and your kids are giggling in the waves. And something so profoundly even deeper than a Hillsong concert hits you in that moment. It doesn't need sound. It doesn't need, like, cosmetics. It just preaches quietly to you, like a still, small voice. And it's the, it's the agreement between all the elements, almost as if you just had the water alone. It's, it's, the, it's the palette that God paints on that speaks to you in that moment. The word that you need to hear is, like, I'm going to be here when you're gone. Like, before you were here, I called that bird to go migrate east, and then when I told it to go west, it turned around and went backwards. When you can't take care of your kids and they go off to college, and you teach them all that you have to, they're going to grow up faster than weeds. Before you know it, you're buying new shoes, size six shoes, and the next thing, you're buying them a laptop to go to college, and I'm going to be with them too. And I didn't need you to produce the fruit in your life. I already created it. And I don't hold the things you hold against yourself, against you, the way that you do. Because I don't think the way that you do. I don't process the way that you do. I don't worry about the things that you worry about. The busyness of life keeps us from those moments. It lies to us. It steals our joy. And I would argue keeps us from being pruned and fruitful. I want you to understand something from this process as we read this scripture. If you've ever been in a moment like that where you've seen an open-eyed, face-to-face, I would say encounter with God in that way, a speaking of a deep, divine voice that comes from the very lips of Jesus and speaks directly into your soul and into your spirit and doesn't need a preacher to tell you it, you've, you've just had a pruning moment. So many times I think we think of pruning as chastisement and correction as painful. Jesus is is explained to us through this language, through the Greek language, that God is a kind gardener. He prunes people so that they'll have fruit. And pruning and repentance actually leaves you lighter than it leaves you heavier. It washes over your soul. And it frees you. And it takes you back home. And it tells you things you never, you just, you, 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 you put a limit on how good he is until you got to that beach. And then he reminds you that your encounters with him are not about you trying to do something or be better when you leave. It's about laying things down at his feet and never taking them back again. It teaches you that quiet times are not things to memorize or steps to take. It teaches you that quiet times are meant for you to lay down burdens in front of him and let him do what he does best. That you're growing in joy, not by trying to be more joyful, but by laying down bitterness. You'd be a lot lighter if you would walk around with a little less bitterness and you'd be a little more empty to take on his joy. And so it's not about trying to add joy to your life. It's about laying down bitterness at his feet. 
So John Mark McMillan, he got me this week because he's on this uh, album, The Mercury Sessions, and he just starts talking. I don't think he has an outline. He just, just goes. And when you're a great musician, people will listen to you for stuff like that. Um, no, I'm sure that he, that he didn't know where he was headed, but, but one of the things that I thought he really just empathized with me and sort of reached out through that podcast to me is he said, all my life I've had a beautiful wife and I've had everything that I wanted to. And about in the middle of my career, it's like 2015 lately, he's in the middle of a show and he says he got off the stage, he has a panic attack. And he says the song that he wrote, and I think it's something love, uh, enemy love, if you want to look it up, is about not panic attacks, but it's about having a panic. Like literally he's saying, when I sing the song, it's me having a panic attack and inviting you into it. He says, my life was like, a, like an apple spin wheel that just kept spinning. And I felt like I just kept going all the way down the list of things that I need to do. And then I would just go right back up to the top again. And he said, the funny thing about when you have everything is that you have to keep everything. And you have to manage everything and make sure that the things that you have don't, don't get lost. You don't lose them. And he says, the great thief of anxiety is that it sneaks up and takes what should be a blessing and turns it into a curse. And the very things that you should love and receive as gifts, now because they're too much of a good thing, you look at them as curses. That that chore does not become about a blessing that a house stewarded to you. It becomes a nightmare that's holding you slave and captive. That your kids are things that we have to parcel out to get babysat and watched and make sure they have enough shoes and make sure they don't talk back and we lose the very vision that there are arrows in our destiny into the future. That anxiety can rob us of that thing. And so he says, he, he says this quote, and I'll put it on the screen, slowness, slowly busyness can make us resent the gifts that you have and the anxiety can cause your blessings to become curses. And so at this point, I, I just want to pose a question before we move on, but what if pruning is less about adding something to your life and more about taking something away? What if it's a, less about preaching another sermon to you? What if it's more about focusing you on the one thing that, that you're supposed to hear right now just for today? The way he spoke to Martha, the way he speaks in the Holy Spirit, the way that he doesn't confuse and the way that he gives clarity. Verse three says this, says, you already are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And I think it's really interesting. Um, and I've noticed how long I am in time. I'm usually not this guy, so I might have to close early. But, um, but we introduced the metaphor of washing, and I think it helps us to understand a little bit deeper. It says washing, that you're already clean um, in me, and you don't need cleaning. The other place that we see that is in John 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he says, uh, you don't need to wash all of you because you're already clean. I'm just going to wash your feet. And it's really cool because, in a sense, what it's saying is that you're clean, but I'm cleaning you, which means that as we're purified, as we're cleaned, as we're made sanctified, as Timothy was talking about, we're actually becoming more of who, we're, who we already are, that we, that we are clean, but he's making us more clean. And the picture that we see here, now that if we swing from a pruning, because pruning and washing are the same in Jesus' eyes. If we were to take that metaphor to Ephesians 5, we instead see Jesus, instead of being a gardener, he's now a husband, which husband means farming, husbandry is farming anyway, so it's not a far stretch, but it says in Ephesians 5 that husbands are to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her, that's kathiros, that's the cleaning, that's the purging, that's the trip to the beach where he takes the thing off your shoulders and washes you with water through the word. Jesus washes us with the water and the spirit. 
So he's making us clean. That's his bride. He's purifying us, and he's trying to present us to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish and make us holy and blameless. So in both metaphors, Jesus is is showing the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance in Romans chapter 2. That is washing, that is pruning. Although we we run from it, we're afraid of it, and in fear when when we're in anxiety against the Lord, that pruning does have pain, but when we come towards him and we trust him, that pruning feels like a washing, that it's a catharsis, that it's a light refreshing that, that becomes the engine of change in our life. And so make no mistake, there's a discipline in the Lord. For example, in Hebrews 12, not on screen, but I'll read it to you. Hebrews 12 says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. So he does change us in discipline, but we have to make an important impasse here to decide the difference between what is discipline and what is punishment. Because 1 John 4 says, there is no punishment in the love of God. Discipline comes from love, and there's a difference between discipline and punishment. So he says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose your heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone who accepts, uh, he accepts his son. This is a Danny Silk quote I want to read to you, and it may make its way to the screen because I texted it just before I got up, but it says this, Danny Silk says, the difference between punishment and discipline is a powerful child. He's talking about the child has the ability to choose rather than being controlled. So when you discipline your child and you give them options, do you want to be happy or go to your room, is what we say, baby Oliver. He becomes powerful. He's not controlled by the parent, but the parent creates a set of options and clarifies what's truth and what's not, and then empowers that child to walk forward the way that they would want to walk forward. This is the way the Lord disciplines us, not by pushing us some way, but by opening up revelation and renewal through catharsis, through pruning, through washing. And he says this, but punishment is when the adult makes the decisions in the situation. Punishment is control, and the spirit behind it is fear. As powerful parents, we want to partner with the spirit of love and not the spirit of fear. So this is the question I want to ask you today. When you leave your time with God, are you washed or are you wearied? Are you chastised or are you challenged? Are you confused or are you comforted? Simple question to leave an application today. is could it be possible that John 15 uh, fruit in your life is hindered not because you're doing too little, but because you're doing too much? In Jeremiah 2.1, it says that, the is- that Israel, without Jesus, showed what it's like to live life without Jesus as a vine. It says, you're planted as a vine without Jesus, and you're a choice vine. You have everything you need to rule and reign with Jesus, or with, 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 with Abba, with God. And you were of a sound and reliable stock. You were part of the lineage. But then he says, How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and a wild vine? Matthew 7 says, when we try and produce fruit without being pruned or without abiding in Jesus, he says, we're the false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly we're ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the bushes, nor figs from the thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. In other words, Jesus cares more about the tree than the fruit because fruit can't produce trees, but good trees will always produce good fruit. So we sit there and we pray, God, we want to see this fruit, but God's saying, no, I want to see you pruned. And for you to be pruned, you have to come to me and you have to lay lay down instead of add to your life. And as we go, this is what he says, whether Old Testament or New Testament, and we go and try to do the work of Jesus without Jesus, we are only hurting people without helping them. We will only disciple them to be like us. We'll correct them on the shortcomings that we measure with. We'll always judge them from our ruling of judgment as opposed to leading them towards Jesus, and we'll never see fruit, much fruit, and fruit that remains. So Jesus says, I can't do anything with the tree 
that isn't healthy and that isn't pruned. You trying to produce fruit without me and producing fruit without being pruned is just going to multiply the cancer that you have in your own heart. So your number one job is not to abound, it's to abide. The number one thing that we do in each and every morning is say, not change them, it's say, change me. It's say, I can't do your work without you, and I've not come to add something to your plate. I've, had to add, I, I've not come to, to, to do something for you. I've come to lay down something before you. What if fruitfulness in your life was not because, fruitlessness in your life was not because you were doing too little, but because you were doing too much? Martin Luther used to say that I'm too busy not to pray. What if the business of your life, uh, the busyness of your life is not a calendar problem, but a clarity problem? That Jesus said to Martha, Martha, you do so many things, but I came to show you Martha's por- or Mary's portion, which is to know the one thing. And for the sake of time, this is where we'll end today. I want to show you guys just a list of, of uh, passages in Matthew chapter 5, and we'll close. But I want you to take the Martha position. If, I had to, if we had to explain it, abiding is simply this. Abiding means focusing on what God is doing before what he's not yet doing. Abiding means laboring in the one thing without being crippled by the many things. And abiding means doing work with Jesus and not for Jesus. So the Mary portion is simply this, that we come before God, yoked to him, and we don't imagine that fruit and productivity and success and all the things that we measure our life and the success and what makes us happy at the end of the day, we don't imagine any of that done as possible without him. We simply sign the resignation paper. We resign from our job. We just resign right now. We're just, I I can't produce fruit in my marriage. I can't produce fruit in my job. I can't produce fruit in my friends. I can't produce fruit in myself. We just resign. We leave Martha in the kitchen. And the invitation is that we come before Jesus. He says, this is what the good portion is. And we're not worried about everything. We're worried about the one thing. Jesus is speaking one thing at a time. And he speaks to each and every one of us to come just as we are. Consider some of these. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Maybe your prayer this morning is this. Wash me of my striving to get to you. The weight that I carry of obligation to try and improve my relationship with Jesus, get serious with God. I don't know how you would put that. It's not working and it won't work. So right now, instead of going through the motions and trying to be a fruit without being pruned, I simply come before the catharsis beach and I say, God, this isn't mine to to bear. I lay down my expectation to be religious and be fruitful in my own eyes. I just lay down this burden. I'm poor before you. And what happens is when you lay that burden down, he's not a silent God. He speaks back to you and says, just as you are, I love you. And just as you are, I see you. And just as you are, when you lay down the commotion and the urgency of your life, just as you are, you can hear me. And that is the seed that turns into a root, that turns into a tree, that turns into a vine. But that's the seed that you're looking at right now. That's the thing you pay attention to. It's not the Bible study. It's the beach. It's the moment before him that's pruned. Look at the second one. Maybe this is you. Blessed are those who mourn. God, I lay down my my constant anxiety to be fake happy all the time. 
And I trust that on the shores of your grace, that if I were to lay down my emotion, there's no emotion too far from the love of God and you would meet me in that place in my morning and meet me with peace and joy. There's people in this, there's, there, you understand, this is what I'm saying. Like you're thinking I need to get to a Bible study. And he's thinking, no, you need to be sad because you have something sad in your life. And the Bible study won't produce fruit in you if you're lying to God about it. So the, the shores of grace will, will await you until you come there, but fruit will not come until you go there. And the memorizing of scripture and the adding on of, of legalism and the adding on of extra steps and the adding on of the try, 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 try harder, it won't produce fruit. It'll be thistles and you'll just hurt yourself and hurt others. You're not helping anybody by not being pruned. So you come before him in, the, in, in, in catharsis, in, in pruning. Blessed are the meek, wash me of my manipulation and control, God. My desire to one-up people and make sure that I'm on the top of everybody's um, pleasing list. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wash me of my cynicism and my sarcasm. I lay down. I, 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 I believe that you can create a real fruit in me. There's a lie out there that says, oh, well, they're just righteous because they're being fake because only fake people are righteous and only righteous people are fake. No, there's a true seed and a root of righteousness that can stir up in your heart that declares to a generation that God's still good and there is still right and wrong. And it doesn't take, you know, legalism to get there, that his joy is our strength to get there. But it has to start by saying, God, it's not my righteousness and I don't get it and I'm, and I'm, and I'm selfish and I'm the problem. It doesn't start happening until we get to that place, until, until fruit can happen, until we're pruned. Blessed are those who are merciful. Wash me of my unforgiveness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Wash me of my dual motives and my pretense. Blessed are the peacemakers. Wash me of my victory mindset that always needs to have the last word on everything. That I actually might surrender and sacrifice my own opinion to find peace in my family, like real peace. How many of y'all have grown up in a family where it's like everybody's quiet and not arguing, but there's no real peace? And he invites us if we come to the vine and surrender to be the solution rather than the problem, but we'll always be part of the problem until we surrender ourselves to the peacemaker and say, I don't have the vision for, for, for understanding. My only vision is to lay down in front of you, be loved, and then love others the way that you love me. I don't have the solution. There's no plan. There's no rules that you can set up to help everybody stay in their, their line. The only rule is love. And the only way that family can have love is that if we're surrendered to Jesus and, we, and we, we're pruned for him first. Lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted because they are righteous. Wash me of my fear of man. Let's stand, and um, we're actually going to cut worship today. I'm sorry, Timothy, because uh, I want to make sure that we honor the kids' workers, and uh, I've gone over time. Would you stand with me as we, as we pray and close? I thank you for each and one, every one of my friends that are in this room, and um, I just love their smiles. I love their happiness. I love their stories. I love that we get to gather each week in this place. And, um, and I just get a sense of power in your vine today, God. I just get a sense of invitation in life. I get a sense that it's in the moment that we're so frustrated with school and life and tasks that we're running in the apple pinwheel of life that we're stuck and we're stressed, that that's actually when you're about to break through the most. But let there be a plot twist, God. Because typically what happens is we just continue on the rat race and chase our tails and keep thinking that working harder is going to get us somewhere else. God, break that cycle in us. And I just pray this week, before we go back to school, that there's repentance and decisions made 
that we're not going to carry the yoke we're not supposed to carry. You're a big ox that's gone before us, and any labor and fruit that happens, you've already touched it first before it hits our hands. Thank you for going ahead of us in the labor. We come behind you, and we harvest and reap what you've already done in our life. We thank you for the good portion of Mary. We thank you for the fruitfulness of the vine. And I just ask, and I don't even need to ask because I know it's promised, that in this very place out of simple, faith-filled people in Greenville, South Carolina in 2018, that you would bear fruit, <clears throat> much fruit, and fruit that remains beyond us, beyond us living here. I thank you for these things, and, uh, and we look to you in the power of the resurrected Son, Jesus Christ, and all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc.